Okay. It's Labor Day today, but we haven't taken a vacation from the Footy Talks podcast. This is largely because, well, we had an episode ready for you as per usual on Thursday, and due to technical difficulties, the audio did not record. So I very much hope you guys are listening to this edition of the show, because if not, I'd probably drop kicked my MacBook out of a window. But if it does make it to air, we do have a great show ahead for you guys. We'll talk about the international break, some Champions League, and wrap up with a bit of Arsenal talk as well. To do all that, I brought on the show's Canadian men's national team expert who was in Spain the last time we talked to him, but I'm guessing Bradenton, Florida wasn't an exotic enough location for him to travel to this time. It's Gavin Day. Gavin, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Mitch. Yeah, it's it's, it's a little too close to home for me to, to go down for that one just yet. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It would have been... Uh... Would have been a little bit nicer if they'd actually played in the U.S. Virgin Islands, but I can understand why uh, this game will be played at the IMG Academy. Um, you know, it feels like an incredibly long time since we've last truly been able to talk about the Canadian men's national team, and that's because, well, it has been a long time since they last played. Um, the last game was a 1-0 win over New Zealand in March, but uh, this is a new international calendar and a new competition for Canada as they start the CONCACAF Nations League campaign against the U.S. Virgin Islands. They named their roster on Thursday, and I, I figured it would be more of an MLS-based roster, a North American-based roster, considering kind of the opponent and, and the travel there, but this is about their strongest roster. I know they brought a couple of young players as well, but a lot of the guys like Scott Arfield and, and Junior Hoylett have made the trip across, it, which kind of surprised me. What did you make of the, the roster that was announced, Gavin? Yeah, I mean, it's a good solid mix, and I think you'll find, you know, it is a a full international window and and these guys do love the little change of pace of of linking up with the national team and seeing the old friends like that so uh you know getting that that mix of of european and north american talent isn't too much of a surprise just just as i mentioned they they enjoy getting together and, and a different change of pace from the routine of club football. But um, yeah, you know, it's uh, you know, you've got that mix of, of age and experience, and we do tend to see that quite a bit. Um, younger guys getting called up for uh, to get their feet wet a little bit. This is going to be a weird game, and that it's mm-hmm. it is a competitive game, but it, it will probably feel like a friendly because I don't imagine how many people would be out for it. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the opponent certainly makes it a little interesting as well. And in the U.S. Virgin Islands, I mean, they have a pretty sweet nickname. The the Dashing Eagles is what they're called. Uh, But they're currently ranked 199th in the FIFA rankings, which I I think there's 211 teams ranked. So uh, not the best position for them. Um, This should be a reasonably comprehensive victory for Canada, I I would think, especially considering this squad. So uh, what do you make what do you make of the fact that they're playing the U.S. Virgin Islands? Yeah, I mean, any sort of advantage of, of a home game went right out the window when they scheduled it to be in Florida. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in CONCACAF, playing away is a great equalizer. I mean, when you look back a couple cycles when Stephen Hart's team really struggled against St. Kitts and, and were almost lucky to come away with a scoreless draw, but uh, that stands for nothing now. Um yeah, so I mean, you would expect Canada. I mean, it's it's a team as we you just mentioned earlier that hasn't been together a lot, but uh, you know, at least a couple goal victories. That you know, if they concede one or two, 
you would really start to ask questions. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you you should expect that there is a sizable gulf in talent, and and once they get one, uh, you know, three or four on the low end is is not uh, too uh, too. Uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, ambitious of a standard for them. They should take this one comfortably, play the kids, and and then come away with an early three points on that interesting Nations League standings. Yeah, for sure. I think there was a, a to speak about CONCACAF away games. I think they drew one one against Belize in that kind of uh, in that kind of infamous game. Now with the, with those commentators who were quite entertaining. I remember Will Johnson scoring and being incredibly relieved that Canada wasn't going to go out of the World Cup qualifying uh, against Belize because that would have been just brutal. Um, I. I I know we've seen in the past, especially on the women's side, um, John Herdman, when he plays kind of these these lower teams in CONCACAF, we've seen him take some incredibly aggressive tactics in the past. I remember a couple times he's played a 2-4-4, and uh, <laughs> I did say that correctly, two defenders and, and then a bunch of attackers. I wonder if, if we might see something similar considering how many attacking players he brought into this camp compared to you know, the defensive uh, side of this team. I remember when he did that system. We sort of looked at the roster. It was uh, for Olympic qualifying in 2016, and it was sort of, he's doing what now? Uh, okay. <laughs> but I, I don't think he will. I don't think he's he's going to risk that because how often would you get a chance to do this? If you're going to working on, if you're going to be working on That's fair tactics and formations that you're going to see or you're going to use later on down the line, there's really no point in doing it for, for a one-off game like this because you won't be getting this opportunity again. So they're going to take this camp seriously, work on, you know, the various sort of platforms that Herdman likes to do and then implement them in a real time situation. So that is kind of how you'd maximize a camp like this, because obviously, you know, I think with the opponent, this isn't, this shouldn't be at least a really huge test for the Canadian team, but it's just getting these players together and working on tactics and, you know, a further chance for John Herdman to deliver his message to these players. Yeah, I mean, this is about as close to a risk-free situation that you could get um, because it would take something, some act of God almost, to not get a result <laughs> from this one. So um, considering how little we've seen them and how little they actually get together, this is a chance to implement the stuff that they're going to be relying on later on down the line and just work it over and over and over again until, uh, you know, they have it drilled into them. So, uh, yeah, this is just one of those things. They'll respect the opponent. They'll take it professionally, but it will be an opportunity to get those, those processes uh, sort of ingrained into the team's head as they get ready for, you know, the tougher opponents down the line, which, you know, that St. Kitts game in November could be interesting when, and this will mm -hmm. be, uh, they might need to rely on some of the stuff that they've worked on. As you, as we talked about a little earlier, a lot of younger players mixed in with this roster. Uh, first call-ups for guys like Alessandro Busti, uh, Zachary Brogiard, who's playing uh, with Lyon's Academy, and Jonathan David, who's been absolutely ripping it up in the Belgian League. Um, yeah, you, you know, exciting to see all these young players involved. Obviously, this is one of the things you'd hope John Herdman would do with these opportunities to play against, like you said, uh, more risk, uh, risk-free opponents. 
Um, you know, I was kind of surprised to be honest that Boosty accepted the call up. I know he, you know, he's only 18 or, or whatever, and uh, still kind of has the attention of the Italian national team a little bit, and they could realis- realistically cap tie him. But you know, I, I think this is this is positive for Canada that that guys like this are accepting call ups at, at this age and and could realistically, you know, be committing their futures to Canada in in, in this game. Sure, and I mean. Uh, you know, behind the likes of Milan Borian and Maxime Crepeau, I, I wouldn't expect him to start. Uh, you could see also see this as a chance for him to experience um, just this kind of camp environment. And if he, and if he does obviously see minutes, then hey, all the better. But um, you know, if he comes in with a chance to train with the guys, get to know the team, get to know the staff, and and that might further influence his his decision down the line. So. Uh, but yeah, the the young guys coming in, you always that was a hallmark of Herdman with the women's program uh, at this stage of the game as well. They like to they've branded it as the road to twenty twenty two begins now. I don't I I don't you know see that at all. This is something unto itself. This is the road to the gold cup, not the world cup. Um, and and this is the chance to yeah with with those extra competitive games um, that Canada now gets because they've been so far behind other countries in that regard with no Caribbean championship, no Central American championship to capture those players. And now they can at these early stages, bring in these young guys. And if they do want to give them minutes, then, then, then lock them down. Yeah, you mentioned the, the lack of games for Canada and I've kind of been surprised. I know, you know, they now have these nations league games and these are important games for them in the grand scheme of things. But I've kind of been surprised, especially if they're in the United States and in a decent location like that, that they aren't scheduling, you know, other friendlies off the back of these things, because these, this seems like a roster that you'd like to at least test against a a stronger opponent. And um, you almost wonder if you have a couple of these camps against difficult opponents, if, if the standard maybe drops off a little bit and you're not maybe as ready for, for the big games this summer. I know it's good to just have all the players together and, and get to be, you know, get some confidence up, but you, you, at some point you'd want to play the kind of teams that you'll be facing in the gold cup. Yeah. And I mean, I think in, in Herdman's press conference, he mentioned that for now, they'll stick to sort of the one-game windows and, and, and build up towards simulating that, that World Cup qualifying experience. And, and, and I think that's something we have to, to hold them to and, and look at that because I firmly believe that regardless of, of how Canada's prepared, Canada's built, they will live and die in how they play in Central America. And it is, having experienced it many times, it is not something you really can prepare for unless you at least uh, get some kind of experience down there. And I mean, now you look at Guatemala's back in the fold in the FIFA ranks, and um, if if Canada does want to succeed, I think they might need to have you know a game, a two-game international window, at least one, where they hell, yeah, sure they can play a game in the U.S. if they don't want to pl- fly from Canada to Central America, but you know, at least a home and away kind of thing against a team just so they can simulate that, uh, train for a couple days, play a game, fly, train, game, that's it. Because uh, we've seen it time and again where that's that's where they've struggled. And you can, you can overhaul just about everything, but until you simulate that as close to that environment as you can, because nothing, uh, just nothing is, is like <laughs> World Cup qualifying in the depths of the CONCACAF region. Um, but at least sort of just get that seed planted to sort of know like, okay, 
this is what we can expect times, you know, 10, 15 when it actually <laughs> Yeah, we've definitely seen some somewhat ill-fated friendly games from Canada scheduled against European opponents and uh, opponents who aren't necessarily going to mimic at all what they'll face in CONCACAF and, and, and you know, seen the success that they've had there and, and figured it would translate. But like you said, there's only one way to to really get prepared for this and fully understand what, what goes on in CONCACAF, and that's to play CONCACAF opponents. Um, one of those players who who probably knows a, a little bit better than everyone else uh, how CONCACAF fully works is Lucas Cavallini, who's playing in Liga MX right now. And very much a positive, I think, to see him in this camp. I know his kind of commitment to this national team program has been uh, kind of questioned over the years after the Honduras scheme. He, he disappeared for a little bit, and um, but was back at the Gold Cup and now seems to be back under John Herdman, which I, I would think is a huge positive. Like I said, he's one of those players who does have that Central American experience and can kind of impart that on his teammates that he, he knows, um, he just knows what he's getting into versus some of them. So um, it seems like a huge positive to me that he's, he's fully back in the Old. For sure. And he, uh, yeah, you mentioned after you, what, him disappearing for, for a little while from the national program. Of course, he's always been cap tied since that fateful night in San Pedro Sula. But, uh, you know, so much with always with these, with these national team rosters is uh, you might not have your best players, uh, but you want to have the best team. And so if he's, if he's ready to come in and, and, and be a piece in a unit, then, then that makes Canada better because you know Canada does not have uh, a dearth of uh, goal-scoring forwards. You look at and even you know Kyle Laren, who who hasn't really making that big step internationally, and and I still always think back to that one game against El Salvador in the Gold Cup, and he you know when he missed that shot from six yards out into an open goal. Uh, well, I mean, I, I still stand by that, that that would have changed the entire program, but that's a story for another day. But, it, you know, and he hasn't quite stepped up yet. And so uh, they need someone who can who can be that reliable forward. And, and you know, it's cool to see uh, Cavallini, who does have that experience playing in Latin America, scoring in Latin America, and, and, and as well as a younger guy like Jonathan David. So it could be a, a fun little team to, to check out. Probably the the most notable player that's not in camp, and and John Herdman got asked about this at his press conference as well as Balu Tabla, who's playing for Barcelona B and hasn't been in the Canadian men's national team setup at all since uh, declining a call for the U20s to kind of focus on on the possibility of playing for Ivory Coast, who he hasn't been called up to yet. Uh, there have been some whispers from, you know, not necessarily the most reputable sources, but there have been some some talk out there that maybe Baloo Tabla um, had been changing his his kind of thoughts on this. But I, I liked what John Herdman said, honestly, which is basically that they aren't going to beg players to come play for Canada, that they want the players who are committed to this program and that, that are committed to this project to come and play. And they're not going to close the door on a guy like Baloo Tabla, but um, I do think that the the last men's national team coach um, spent maybe a little too much time trying to recruit these players and going on trips to Europe to to wine and dine a couple of these players who I'm not even sure he got a player. To, he got Lucas Cavallini back in the mix maybe, but that's about the only player that it seemed he was able to fully get in. Benito Flora was the guy who actually got most of the 
um, so-called fence sitters to, to come join the program. So um, I, I think it's it's kind of a positive change in mentality that they're really going to focus on the core group they have. And sure, if, if a guy like Blue Tablo wants to come play for Canada, absolutely. But um, if, if he doesn't want to, then they're not going to, you know, try and force it. Yeah, I mean, Turdman has the ultimate trump card in his back pocket, and although it hasn't been confirmed, and that's a spot in the 2026 World Cup. And if mm-hmm. you're a guy like Baloo Tabla, you, you, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he'll still be a, a pretty good player in his prime by then. And so, um, you know, you're not going to want to convince people who, who don't want to be there. You want to have guys, I mean, you look at, I, I can't say enough good about Scott Arfield and how good an ambassador he has been for that program. And he's a guy who, you know, hadn't even been to Canada until he committed to play for them. So, uh, like I said, you don't necessarily always have the best players. You have the best team. And that might mm-hmm. mean if there are guys who are who are quite talented but don't have the, you know, the desire and the right mentality to come in and play for a national team, you don't want them there. And so, you know, Tabla, he was with that under-17 squad a couple of years ago for Canada. He knows essentially what's involved. And, and behind the scenes, they do a lot of, you know, it's a very relaxed environment. It's a fun one to come into. Of course, I know speaking from some of my experience. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, all Herdman has to say is 2026 World Cup, you have every chance to be there if you come in and work hard. Uh, you know, and I, I, you know, none of us can really see what, what Tabla is doing over with the Barcelona B side. Uh, you know, he might be trying to say that, oh, I, Barcelona, that's all I need to say. But um, no, that's not it. You have to come in and be willing to work for it. And so uh, I'm sure the offer's out there and, and they don't need to do anything more. I think they should just let him call them next. We're not going to talk a lot of Toronto FC on this podcast, thankfully. I've been talking way too much about it recently, and it's doing my head in a little bit. But we will talk about um, one of their call-ups to to the Canadian men's national team, that being Jonathan Osorio, who's signed a big contract, according to our our pal at the Canadian press, Neil Davidson. It's in the range of nearly a million dollars when when all is said and done in, in targeted allocation money. Um, you know, this, he seems to be a player that Herdman has kind of circled as a central piece of this Canadian men's national team going forward. And um, I really do see this as a huge positive for both Osorio and Canadian soccer. Uh, initially, I kind of wanted to see what he'd do in Europe. I, I wanted to see, um, you know, him push himself to that next level because there was plenty of interest, uh, according to reports, and, and Toronto FC as well uh, mentioned that interest. But um, for me, that would almost be like starting over. He's at an age, he's not incredibly young. I mean, he's 26, I believe. So that's that's very old to be moving over to Europe and he'd be going to a club where there'd be no guarantees that he'd be getting playing time. Obviously, Toronto FC know what they can do. They, they've invested money and they've showed him um, that they believe in him. And I think it's a positive to have marketable Canadian stars in, in Canadian markets. I mean... It's it's been so tough to market this Canadian men's national team because a lot of them have been playing over in Europe and not necessarily for the most 
um, notable clubs. You look at a guy like Atiba Hutchinson, who's a, a world-class midfielder, but it's kind of hard to market in Canada because he doesn't play on, on a club that, uh, you know, people outside of, of some Turkish immigrants would, would necessarily recognize. So um, even if it is a top club in world soccer. So I, I don't know. I fully see this as a positive. I don't know about you, Gavin. Yeah, and I mean, now is the time. As you mentioned, he's 26. He's not a kid anymore. This is his prime. And, I mean, with Toronto FC, a lot of the success is he's been complimentary to the likes of Victor Vasquez and Josie Altidore and Sebastian Javinko. And with Canada, it's a bit of a different story. He now really is, I, I, am, well, I imagine he is on, a member of, of, of Herdman's leadership group. And he has that responsibility to be an influential player where, uh, you know, I, I can't obviously accurately sort of say on this, but with Toronto FC, he has the, the, the fortune of sort of not hiding, but just sort of being a little bit behind the, the marquee players. Obviously now with mm-hmm. that big contract, he steps a little bit further into the forefront, but we, we, we now kind of need to see that production that he, that he brings with TFC up at the international level and with Canada where they don't have that same star power that Toronto FC does. So it's a completely different challenge for him. Um, and from the looks of things, it looks like he's, he's grown both on and off the field in the last few years. And so I'm sure it's a, it's a challenge that he's really eager to embrace to show because, uh, you know, big games are coming up next year. We're, we're less than a year away from another gold cup. So um, time is, time is of the essence very much to see what he can do to, to maybe grab hold of this team and and make it his a little bit. Yeah, for sure. And you'd think he'd be uh, perhaps even more more kind of <laughs> wanting to do that, considering he's been slighted in the past by, or or at least not brought into camps by national team managers in the past. So um, I was I was going to talk about kind of the the players who who I was surprised wasn't called into to camp, but he ended up being called in. That's Liam Frazier from Toronto FC. Um, Matthew Schwanier getting the late call-up as well after uh, Jay Chapman got injured. Um, you know, another positive for me that, that they're getting these young players in, and Liam Frazier is a player who hasn't played all that much with Toronto FC this season, but when he has, I've been incredibly impressed. He seems like one of those midfielders who who really does a good job of of you know, passing and um, controlling the ball and, and the tempo of a game, which is something that we haven't seen very much with Canadian midfielders. So um, is there anyone you were surprised that they didn't see called? Because I think this is, you know, as close to a first choice roster as we're going to see besides uh, Atiba, who uh, is injured or we're not fully sure of his, his future with the program. Um, you know, it is sort of weird how, it almost never a camp goes by without the calls of, hey, why wasn't this person called? Why wasn't this person called? Why? And it's sort of weird that there hasn't been that this time. It's sort of been the, mm-hmm. oh, there's this mix. It looks good. Um, you know, but if there is one, and I, I think uh, he's probably played the best I've seen in Vancouver in his time there is Russell Tybert. Um He's probably having the best season of his career. Oh, sorry, he is in the squad. My mistake. Cut, paste, you know, delete. Um, that you know, that kind of makes your point. <laughs> well, that's it. And for some reason, I must I skimmed it, and it's gone. And it, you know, and then the second time over, I'm like, no, he is there. Uh, <laughs> now, good for Rusty. Um, uh, you know, that's it. You can't really think of anyone off the top of your head. They've got the big names from Europe: the Arfields, the Hoylets. 
Uh, you know, you mentioned the Cavallini's coming in. You've got Milan Borian in goal. And so, uh, you know, Atiba is the one. And, um, you know, I think he's, he's just sort of signed another deal in, uh, in Turkey. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if he's going to be kind of the guy who will be used sparingly or, or what, but he still has. I think he still has some legs in him. But, yeah, that's it. You cannot... Um, you cannot really say that there's anybody missing. I mean, there are guys getting minutes. There's, um, you know, there's Brett Levis in, in Vancouver who's playing. He's getting some good minutes these days. He's not on the roster. But, um, you know, other than that, no. I mean, of course, if Mark Anthony Kay was healthy, he would be in. But, uh, oh, yeah, sure. this is sort of the rare time where, uh, yeah, you know, you can't sort of – there's no one who's obviously left off. Well, if, as we wrap up this segment, I figured uh, uh, just to get a, give everyone a taste of what we can expect over the next few months, I, I give you an opportunity to, to quickly ca- tell us a, a nice CONCACAF story if you have any off the top of, uh, you know, of your head uh, uh, about you know, World Cup qualifying or any of your experiences with the, the men's national team. Well, every, you know, every time we've had, wherever you go, there's a different adventure. Um, and since this is, well, this is Florida, but it is a Caribbean opponent and it might be teeing up November a little bit, but I'll, I'll never forget going down to St. Kitts and, um, you know, it's this little stadium at Warner Park in, in Basseterre, which is this quaint little city in, uh, on, on St. Kitts. Nevis is the other island off in the distance and just sort of, there were a few things you show up for training the day before and, uh. You know, there's literally a guy rolling the paint on the field. Uh, you know, <laughs> I talked to him near the corner flag. I said, and it's hot. It's the middle of the day. And I go, how long does that take? And he goes, hey, about six hours. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I just sort of go, all right, then. This is a completely different world. And, and that, that field in, in Warner, uh, in, in St. Kitts, I'll never forget, you know, there were there were some anthills in it. And so John Molinaro of Sportsnet and I were joking about how well, if, if you don't want players diving and rolling around, just, just put a couple of anthills in. You don't want them crawling all over you if you're uh, spending too much time on the pitch. And so, uh, you know, and on the day of the game, it's it almost felt like um, almost like a high school game where they're, you know, they're setting up tables a couple hours before the game. And say, I'm just sort of sitting there next to a guy who's been helping. And he's wearing one of the, the local club jerseys. And I say, oh, so you play for, for one of the clubs. I just recognized it because... Um, a number of the other national team players are on that club. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I go, did you play for the national team? He goes, yeah, I have a few times. And it's just sort of like, here's this guy, you know, in any other country, an international footballer, and, and he's and he's helping move tables around before the game. It was just, it's it's a whole other world where, you know, it's it's island time, I guess, and it's a little bit laid back. But at this stage of the game, and it, when they play these uh, smaller countries, there's just that little bit of, of extra story that I find so fascinating. Man, I've got to get on the road in CONCACAF. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, let, let's very quickly talk about the, the Canadian women's national team as well, who uh, beat Brazil 1-0 in Ottawa yesterday. Nichelle Prince had the lone goal for Canada. Uh, it's basically in preparation for what's an incredibly important year for Canada in terms of kind of moving the program in a positive direction following the John Herdman moving over to the men's side. This is their first... Um, really big test tomorrow. We're going to get the draw for for their group for the uh, 2018 Concacaf Women's Championship, which will serve as the qualifier for uh, France 2019, the World Cup. 
Um, you know, it's pretty clear at this point uh, for Canada qualifying for a World Cup is the minimum. But as we've seen on the youth level, that's not nearly as easy as it used to be in CONCACAF. There's a lot of uh, programs, specifically the Mexican program, that has taken huge strides in recent years. So uh, this is going to be a tough task for Canada. Yeah, I mean, Mexico is, is, has pulled their sort of resources out of the NWSL and refocused them at home and at the youth level, you just said it, they've been, they've, they've essentially taken the step ahead of Canada and 17s and 20s, Mexico uh, is, is almost a level above. I don't think they're there yet at the senior level. Um, I think it is going to be closer and, and you, you know, it is almost a toss up right now. You don't know because uh, Herdman, I think was so important for that women's program and Bev Priestman was, was his right hand essentially. And so this is uh, heading into the unknown a little bit. I don't think Canada will will sort of slip to that spot where they have to play and do a playoff. But, um, you know, it's it's almost now that trifecta, Canada, U.S., Mexico. And at the youth levels, we've seen, we've seen Haiti make that step up. Uh, it's hard to imagine them having the infrastructure to carry that over to the senior level. I know they have had talented young women playing for them, but uh, you know, it's much more difficult for them, but, uh, it is probably the most interesting world cup qualifier than it has been with, with those three teams, Canada, U S and Mexico. But, um, this is, this is a, a, a precarious time The they have the two Olympic medals to hang their hat on. And for the general public, that's, that's really all they need. But the, those youth results should be raising a few red flags and, and at least going to yellow alert for, for some of these people to, 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 to find some new solutions because it's not automatic anymore. Where do you then kind of kind of see this team in the world scale? Because, uh, as you mentioned, they had the, those solid results at the Olympics, and and particularly the, the the Olympics in Rio was was you know they played pretty solid. Like it, it wasn't the same level as London, where um, they lucked into it at least a little less than they did in London. Um, certainly, the we want to be number one in the world rhetoric has kind of died down a little bit since John Herdman left. That was kind of his. Uh, before he left, that was the huge uh, drum he was banging. But, um, you know, we, we've seen them play a lot of the top teams in the world for th- this year, and they've been pretty close with all of them, but they haven't beaten very many, many of them. So uh, where do you see them in, in kind of that world elite group? It's, I mean, it's a dangerous time. I don't think we'll really quite adequately know until the next World Cup. Uh, you look at the likes of France and Spain and England and and maybe not so much Germany. They've taken that step back. They've had some struggles, but I think Japan is coming back again strongly. Australia is making big leaps. So I think one of the bigger changes is more European nations are taking it quite seriously and are investing accordingly. And so, um, you know, I think it's 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 not quite put up or shut up time, but. Um, it's inter- it'll be interesting to see how much investment and, and where that investment money goes in the future. If uh, Canada continues on that Herdman model of the regional uh, Excel centers, or if they sort of look to see what some of those other countries are doing, because um, yeah, after I think yeah, it was Japan who didn't qualify for the Olympics and after losing to the U S in the world cup final, but uh, and they've, they've sort of refocused and, and you look at the likes of Spain, which, uh, is is really making big strides. So, I think it's a more the the pool is expanding, which is a is very exciting for the women's game because uh, it's it's more than just a few same old same old countries going. So, 
Uh, it's, it's now the time where Canada will either keep pace or slip back into that sort of almost their level that they that they had been before those bronze medals. Yeah, and we almost see more of the the pool at at the World Cups than we do at the Olympics, which makes it uh, almost that little more difficult for Canada because there are so many good teams, like you've said, now in Europe starting to come to the fold. The Netherlands, the Swiss are all of a sudden, you know, good programs with uh, that make things difficult for Canada. Um, speaking of Europe, let's move on to, to the CONCACAF Champions League draw, which happened this past week. I, I'm going to have that song stuck in my head. Literally every like time someone stopped talking, they had a guy on the Champions League button. I'd imagine it was like a big Heineken labeled button that he hit and it just played that song. But, um, <laughs> you know, we're just going to quickly just quickly talk about the groups. Just one or two thoughts about uh, every group that that you have, Gavin, um, starting with Group A. Uh, the Euro League or Europa League champions, uh, Atletico Madrid, alongside Dortmund, Monaco, and Club Brugge. A lot of these groups, it's it's almost gotten to the point where it's so straightforward. There might be a a, a surprise or two, but you know, with Griezmann and and the rest of them in Atletico Madrid, it's you've pretty much almost gone through the the eventual standings where uh, you know it'll likely be Madrid, Dortmund, Monaco, and Bruges. Maybe Monaco uh, surprising a few people, but um, you know. I think this is the first of many groups that almost write itself. Yeah, Monaco lost a lot of their talent this this transfer window, so it's going to be tough for them. Um, group B, Barcelona, uh, Tottenham, uh, PSV Eindhoven, and Inter Milan. This one uh, might write itself a little bit, but Inter certainly makes it interesting because of what they've been able to do this offseason. Exactly. This one is certainly much more interesting um, you know, obviously Barcelona sort of writes itself. And I, I, I honestly would never count out sort of any of those other three teams. Spurs, uh, you know, they love to talk about how close they are. Um, uh, but this could be a, a trip up. You mentioned Inter, and, and, and they, they are certainly going to uh, be the wild card in this one. And, and you never know with, with any of these Dutch teams. I know been playing in, in the Netherlands is, is always sort of a challenge. But um you know, it, it you could say it's a toss-up for the second spot, but I'd say it's Barcelona easily, and then, uh, you know, Spurs, maybe Inter, one of them. Not having the, the depth of, of not bringing in a single player this past window has to hurt Spurs a little bit when they're trying to balance a, a run in the league with, with the Champions League. So, I, like you said, it, it'll be tough for them. Uh, group C is just an incredibly deep group. Um, PSG, Napoli, Liverpool, and uh, poor Milan Borjan and his Red Star Belgrade. I mean, great for them to get back to the Champions League, but I can't imagine their their trip will be very long-lived. Um, but he'll get to go to some cool stadiums and play some top teams. Um, 538, the, the stats website, they rank all the clubs in the world, and they have PSG, Napoli, and Liverpool all in their top 11. So um, if you're looking for quality, this is probably the best group in, in, in the group stage. Yeah, this is going to be one of those knockdown, drag out, uh, see who survives last because, yikes, that is a lot of talent. And Liverpool is one of those teams that under Jurgen Klopp is is just is so fun to watch. And yeah, poor Milan Borjan. You get a Canadian in the Champions League, and the likely time you'll only see him on the highlights is when he's picking the ball out of his net or yelling at his teammates so you never know I mean Belgrade isn't exactly the most hospitable place for opposing <laughs> teams so it'll be a challenge to uh to for them to get in there but 
Um, yeah, it's, you know, anyone's guess other than, you know, you look at that PSG roster. I mean, come on, that's going to be, that's, that's, that's going to be fun, especially I think going up against Liverpool. Those will be, those will be just some fun games. And for as much as the group stage is very much, uh, you know, a haves and have not kind of thing at times. Yeah. Not so much group C this time. That one will be fun. That uh, that concentration of quality in Group C is in many ways brought to you because of Group D, uh, which is uh, kind of lacking in terms of top teams. Uh, Locomotive Moscow, Porto, Schalke, and Galatasaray. I found it absolutely hilarious during the draw broadcast when Galatasaray got drawn into that group, and their people could absolutely not hide at all how happy they were. They were fist-pumping and high-fiving and hooting and hollering. You could just tell they were so thrilled to be drawn into Group D because I don't think there's many of other of these groups they would possibly make it out of but this one they have a, at least a decent chance yeah it's no group of death i mean you could almost pick any of those teams i mean these are these are these are essentially the games that uh you know we're talking about where the games will be it'll be yeah if you want to watch that one you know the link is over here on the left but you know <laughs> we won't blame you if you want to sit this one out i mean they, they'll, they'll be fine i'm sure they might be even be some fun games but uh, they won't be where where the star powers concentrated that for sure. So it's it's a it's Group D, but the D does definitely not stand for death. Yeah, maybe Group Dud. Um, group E, uh, Bayern Munich have a reasonably easy draw. I mean, Benfica or Benfica and Ajax have have done stuff in the past in Europe, but they aren't quite their their top vintage of the past. And then Athens as well. So um, it, it's too bad almost that Alfonso Davies won't be over in, in time for many of these games because these seem like playing time opportunities for a young player like that. Yeah, that's a shame. You can see, you know, Bayern putting in some of the guys, you know, picking up four points in four games and then just sort of coasting the rest of the way. I'd love to see Ajax come back to some of those glory days. Some of that, those Ajax Academy players were, were fantastic and it would be cool to see them sort of reach the heights they once did. But this is a, you know, one team group and, you know, Benfica Ajax probably for the second spot, AK Athens. Thanks for coming. <laughs> another uh kind of one team group i mean manchester city is the odds on favorite to to win this competition um according to the bookies uh Shakhtar Donetsk are, are usually a pretty good team in in europe but um they kind of had one of their selling years and sold bernard and fred and a lot of their their brazilian players and, and leon's been all right in hoffenheim as well so there's some quality in this group but uh uh, I think this is another one that uh, we we know at least one of the teams who's going out in first. Yeah, congratulations on Manchester City for reaching the knockout rounds. Uh, well <laughs> done all around. Uh, you know, City is under a little bit of pressure. They they have to at least they need to come close to winning a European Championship sometime soon. The, the amount of money they've put in this, uh, you know, they're missing something, and and it's obviously a good chance for them to get off to a good start. Yeah, those those trips to sort of Ukraine and Russia are always kind of tough, but it should be should be comfortable for them, especially with the with the depth they have. Real Madrid's quest for a fourth straight Champions League starts in a reasonably easy fashion uh, with Roma, CSK in Moscow, and Victoria Pilsen, the Czech champions. Uh, Roma obviously went on that great run last year, but um, I. I can't really see them doing that again and uh certainly um you know they're they're, they're gonna have a tough time with real in this group even if real isn't quite the team they were in the last few seasons yeah without without uh that ronaldo fellow in, in real <laughs> they're 
They're obviously not the same team. This group will be fine uh, for them. It, it will, you know, the knockout rounds will be interesting. I, I think the the streak will come to an end for them this year. But uh, you know, Victoria Pilsen. Hey, if you like good beer, they'll enjoy their trips to the where Pilsner was invented. So um, that's that'll be it for Victoria Pilsen, though. Is they'll I don't think they'll even make the Europa League in that group. But uh, yeah, it's another one where there might be some challenges. You mentioned Roma, but Real is is looking at this one and already sort of, you know, at least penciling in the knockout rounds. They'll still want to do the job, but they should be fairly confident of their chances. Speaking of that Ronaldo guy, he's surfaced in Turin and all kinds of Champions League expectations will come with him. But uh, a tricky group for, for Juve um, with Manchester United, Valencia and Young Boys, all who have been fairly solid in, in recent years, with perhaps the exception of United, who uh, I think this, uh, you know, I think I see Juve going through fairly easily. I think this could be a very tricky group for United because Young Boys have kind of broken up that, that hierarchy of FC Basel, who have been so solid in Switzerland in recent years. And Valencia are a fun side. And, you know, Manchester United haven't been playing very well recently. So if they play like that in the Champions League, yeah. I could see an early exit, honestly. Absolutely, you could. But then you also sort of have to wonder, some teams are just made for cup runs, and could Manchester United be that team where they sort of struggle in the league but but can find some kind of form in Europe where it matters? And, well, we'll see what happens with their with their coaching situation. But <laughs> young boys, where do they get that name from? Um, I'm <laughs> sure there's history, but it's it's silly where you could say you beat young boys and it's like wait what now but anyway sorry that's <laughs> probably not safe for work but um you know yeah it's it, it's cool to see some of these uh teams that sort of go for it and young boys will be fun against uh you know the valencia and man united it'll be one of the a couple of those games where you know the longer they can hold out the, the more they'll sort of feel like they can maybe get these chances and, and maybe get a result and so yeah, this one group I think will be a fun one to pay attention to. Juve aside, I think they're going to be fairly comfortable, but uh, it's it's a sort of a real case where uh, second spot is up for grabs, especially if United just do keep reeling. I don't think they'll be one of those cup teams, as I just mentioned. I, I think the struggles are for real, and uh, that really does open the door in the group. Young Boys, of course, the former club of Canadian international Josh Simpson, which is an answer to a trivia question I don't imagine any of you are ever going to get. Um, well, you never know. Pacific FC might come up with a fun trivia night, and he's uh, if they need to find a question, there's one. You've just given them one. There you go. Yeah, they should <laughs> they should hire me to do more than that. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, let's continue the conversation about Europe, but but move on to the Europa League and Arsenal, um, your club. Um, they they're obviously in the the Europa League this season, um, and they got their group this week with Sporting Lisbon, uh, Borskla Poltava, and Karabag. Um, so a couple of teams we've obviously seen in the Champions League in, in recent years, but um, you know I think that's a pretty winnable group but this has kind of been Emery's thing I mean he did so well there with Sevilla in in the Europa League this is a competition he he knows how to uh how to win and obviously Arsenal did very well in this competition as well um last year getting very far before losing to Atletico the eventual champions so um you know do, do you have high expectations for for the Europa League this season because it seems like things are lining up fairly well for Arsenal 
If the yeah, if the Arsenal revival is to start somewhere, it's here. Um, they're still a step or two behind some of the top clubs in, in England right now, but uh, you know, top four is the goal in England. But short of that, uh, winning this competition is something certainly very realistic for them, uh, or at least they should be thinking that if they want to be a, a top world club that's uh, in the Champions League every year again. So. Uh, you know, Sporting Lisbon will, will maybe be interesting, but uh, I mean, the other two teams, that's a lot of, that's a lot of consonants to get through and, and, <laughs> and random trips to Azerbaijan. But um, yeah, I mean, Emery is, is, is brought something new to the team and, and uh, you know, I, I think he, he should get them on the right track to, to seeing this through is because as you mentioned, he has that experience in, in these competitions to, to get those results. What have you made of of Emery so far in his first few games? Because you know, there's obviously been some some growing pains, but he does seem to be at least a little bit forging an identity for this team in the in the early going. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 very early. You've seen a couple different things. They you know could have at least and perhaps should have at least gotten a draw against Chelsea, um, but for some poor finishing from six to eight yards out, which you're paying guys a lot of money to do better than that. Um, it, it, under Arsene Wenger, at least the last number of years, you would go into those games against the likes of Man City, Chelsea, Man United, a lot of them, just knowing a result was not coming. They would lose by a number of goals, and, and every game is just sort of, a, okay, sometimes you get a result, but um, there was almost, at least from this side of the fence, that you go into these games just sort of dreading what could happen. And, you know, that opening game against uh, to start the season against Man City, there were there were some decent moments. Um, I thought they looked good on the counterattack. Uh, but then the issue now is, is defending, which has sort of been <laughs> quite comical, as it's always been. <laughs> Arsenal has enough firepower to, to sort of keep pace. But um, as, you know, as we saw against Chelsea, when they're missing, they need the defending to be better. And it almost wasn't, uh, you know, the past few weeks where they did get the wins, but um, in very sort of nervy situations. With that kind of, uh, you know, tough situation with the defense, I've been kind of surprised at how little we've seen Lucas Torreira, who is the player uh, kind of brought in to at least help solidify the the base of the midfield a little bit. He was kind of their, for me at least, their marquee signing of the offseason coming from Sampdoria, great World Cup with Uruguay. Um, and I've been surprised in, in general about um, kind of the lack of usage for all the new signings, um, you know, checks, beat out kind of burnt Leno for that job. We haven't seen much of Licksteiner either. Uh, the only one who's really been playing is uh, Matteo Ganduzzi, who's looked pretty solid, and I've been impressed with him, but he looks a little too much like David Luiz for me to to trust his defensive abilities. Um, so what, what have you made of, of kind of what Arsenal's done so far and the fact that you know they did bring in all these players but haven't really used them all that much? Well, anyone who has, you mentioned uh, Ganduzzi, anyone who has that much hair and think they can you know, run around and, and, and play well. I just don't understand it because it's flopping around all over the face and I just don't get how how that works, like physically, <laughs> and, and, and literally in the world of physics. But anyway, he seems to make it work. And yeah, he has been impressive. Torreira came in off the bench and, and picked up an assist 
during the in the last the last win the other day. But um, yeah, I mean we've seen some of Socrates, um, and he's he's sort of he's almost fallen in a little bit with these Arsenal defenders who have these moments of of wait, what just happened there, and then that leads to a goal. So um, I frankly I don't know if you're you, if you're aware of this one. There was once a Monty Python sketch where. Um, it was soccer, but it was philosophers, and it was Germany mm-hmm. against yeah. Greece. And Socrates scored the winner for Greece. So whatever <laughs> he does, I'm bringing that gif out, and I'm just going to enjoy hitting tweets <laughs> on that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, they—it seems to be a, you know kind of an all you know the more things change, the more they stay the same kind of look. I mean, Mesut Özil has not really looked interested in in my from my point of view. He's had his moments, but there are times where uh, you know, he just sort of looks like he's drifting a lot. And I know there have been issues with, you know, that might be playing on his mind. But, um, you know, the one thing I do would love to see more of is is Lacazette and Aubameyang. Uh, they like each other. They they had the, the little goal celebration together and, and they bring a little bit of fun to it. So, um, yeah, it is just a matter now of, of trying to figure out what pieces fit and where. And, and it would be cool to see Torreira get a start or two because he... Yeah, he he's really could be an X factor in the team when they when they come up to some pretty decisive games. Speaking of those decisive games, um, what's kind of the expectation for you from Arsenal this season? Like, what would be a successful first year for for Emery? Is it just kind of um, you know getting the team playing in a certain way and getting them back to playing more organized, uh, attractive football, or you know, is there a certain uh, benchmark you're looking for in terms of league position, or, or as we mentioned earlier, their run in Europe? Yeah, I mean, it's the first thing is they have to look like they can compete against the top clubs because they had so many lopsided losses at the end, especially under Wenger, where. Uh, as I mentioned, you go in and you knew it was not going to be pretty, especially after watching the first couple of minutes. So um, they need to sort of reestablish that mentality that uh, they can be up there with uh, the best in the league and, and potentially the best in Europe. Um, the The goal should be fourth place, essentially. The top four, you get into Champions League and you get back to sort of where that the team loves to market itself as, as as we're up there in Europe kind of thing, and um, it's going to take time. I knew it, you know, when when the change came and Wenger, uh, you know, when those of us were, were you know clamoring for it, it was a you know it's not going to be a right away fix overnight, and it's going to take a little time. But immediate success is yeah, I would love to see them win that Europa League. It's it's easier said than done, but they do have a fair shot at it. And then and then get back into the top four where, you know, as the old boss used to say, it's like winning a trophy, which <laughs> it's not, but you know, it's something to at least sort of look into ahead to next year. <laughs> <laughs> we'll end on that oh so optimistic Arsenal note. <laughs> same, same but different at, at Arsenal Football Club. Um uh yeah, thanks for joining me, Gavin, and uh you know, a reasonably big year for the Canadian men's national team. So hopefully we'll be hearing more from you in the coming months. Sounds good. Yeah, it's a big time ahead and then like always fun gold cup less than a year away. Yeah, absolutely. Um thanks thanks everyone for for listening to the podcast. Uh if you missed the Toronto FC talk, we'll have more of that on Thursday and I'm sure it'll be uh, fiery and depressing as always. Um, have a have a good four day week, everyone.